Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Jesse Mogul with Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. I'm here today with the founders of Flicks for Change, Andrew Steele, James Hawthorne. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. When I first came about learning about you guys, the fact that you started up, you know, I don't want to be the one to give the history. Let's talk about your film festival because it's about social change. It immediately sparked that you guys are everything this show's about. So, James, why don't you jump in first? Well, uh, I met Andrew at an event called uh, City Gala, and I went up to him and said, hey, you know, what brings you here? What are you doing? And he said, uh, well, I got this film festival for social change. I said, that's amazing. And uh, at the time, I had made this little documentary series called Leap about people come to a crossroads in their life, and they're dissatisfied with the life they're living and feel like they need to take a significant change or, you know, take a big risk to start living a life kind of in accordance with their dreams. And he says, man, you know, that, that'd be a good fit for the festival. We should talk. So I went out to lunch, and he just kept talking to me about um, ideas for the festival. And, well, you know, how, how would you do this? How would you do that? And so I started talking, and he says, well, you know, do you want to come on? And, uh, you know, as a consultant, and I said, well, yeah, I can maybe help with that. And as we got talking, it became clear to me that this big festival of his was actually just an idea in his head. So I called him out <laughs> with on the deadline. it. With the deadline. <laughs> with the deadline. A deadline's key. A deadline's yeah, key. Yeah, it it goes from being an idea to an actual plan with a deadline. Uh-huh. So. And the more people you tell about it, then the more you, that deadline's becoming a real thing. That's right. So I, I called him out on it. I said, you actually have a festival? He's like, oh, it's a great idea though, isn't it? I said, yeah, it, 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 it is. And he says, you want to idea I have is bringing this guy on board. <laughs> he says, you want to help me run it? I said, no. I said, I'm busy enough, man. I got too much I'm trying to do here out of Hollywood. Persuasion. Well, you know, the more he told me about the vision, the more I saw his passion for it, the sincerity behind it. And I, I really thought that this was a chance to really help create something that, you know, mattered and that meant something, which is why I set about, you know, creating that documentary leap a couple of years, you know, prior and, I really look at my life as wanting to leave something behind that's greater than you know I'll ever be after I kick the bucket, and I thought this might be an opportunity to do that, create a legacy, not to get all heavy or morbid with it. But you know, <laughs> I, I do think about you know when you're when you're on your deathbed, you know, having a life back that you can you know look back on and, and say, yeah, you know, I did something that that mattered, and I thought this could be that, and um, then we set about making it a reality. Had our first festival uh, last December, and then. Uh, our next one will be November uh, in Los Angeles. That's awesome. So, Andrew, tell me, was it about the legacy that made you want to start Flicks for Change? What was your driving force? Yeah, I mean, I just come off the uh, the flight from Australia, moved, packed up my stuff to come over and chase chase the dream of becoming an actor in in LA. And uh, obviously, it's not as easy as you know you see in you know movies that you know overnight successes. Um, everyone's had ten years of slogging out before they do that. But when I got here, I you know I didn't have a you know a, a family I over over here. I didn't have the friend base. I, I I wanted to create something where I could be working towards what I wanted to do, but also give opportunities to people that are doing great work in this space. And you know this has allowed me to be around filmmakers to to offer them an opportunity to have their work screened. Um, but then also get in get in um, contact with you know the. The, uh, the groups that are doing really great work in different films, whether it's homelessness or addiction or, you know, it's, um, really, yeah, really it was to, to create a community so that, um, you know, I was inspired to work harder to, to give opportunities to people to have their stories shown. Um, but yeah, just, just, just an opportunity to have these great works be seen by an audience because often you have a film that's really poignant but the audience isn't there and it doesn't get to the people it needs to. And, 
because we're big believers that you know film can really change the way people think about stuff and it could just be a 30 second film or even an ad like commercials these days so emotive and it can change that inner inner you you can hear somebody lecturing to you or somebody say you're doing this wrong you're doing that right but if if you see something that affects you emotionally which film really can that can change the course of the way you act and the way that your actions have impacts on everybody else around you. Awesome. So yeah, that was that was something that I really wanted to, to create. And you know, the more I do it, the, the bigger it gets, and the more incredible people I meet, and with who have been doing all the, the, you know a whole bunch of different stuff. And we're just we're really a vessel for people with big hearts and artistic minds to come together to reach the audience that that want to make a difference. So. Yeah, that's that's what it's becoming right now, and it's getting bigger and bigger. We're going to different cities next year. We're going to Washington DC, then going international the next year in Sydney. Um, so it's and the more people we tell, the more people just want to help. And you know, that's been the most heartwarming part. You know, right there that we think we hope that we've tapped into a vein where you know a lot of the news you know is sensationalized these days, and it's you know uh, unbalanced towards bad news and. Um, it's upsetting. People are upset watching the news. And um, people vent on social media, but none of that's real change. It all starts to sound like noise. So we're really trying to create a community where people can come together and have a, a, pro, a, a real discussion, a productive discussion about what we actually do about issues that we can make an impact on. Complaining about what happens in Washington, D.C. isn't going to change it very much. You've got to wait till the next election cycle and vote differently, you know, if you're not mm-hmm. happy. But, you know, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It's a very American ideal, regardless of whether you're a conservative or a liberal. And I think it's an attitude of, you know, taking responsibility for the world that you live in. And I, we really want to create a community where people step up and say, you know, it's not that hard to start addressing some of these problems if we just show up, come to be inspired, and look to where we can plug ourselves in and start getting involved and making a difference. So we're hoping that this festival is a lot more than passive entertainment. We want it to be something that motivates people to get involved. Okay. Um, and making change from the bottom up rather than you know complaining about what's happening or not happening from the top down. Is there an abundance of people creating socially conscious short films right now. I mean, I look back, you know, obviously 9-11 will always be a huge marker for our country. Since then, we've had three very tumultuous um, administrations, regardless of what you think about Bush or Obama or Trump. Our country has undergone vast changes in just a very short amount of time. Are people putting out more socially conscious films now than they used to in the past and are you finding that there's an abundance of these to pick from or are you still is it more difficult to fill up your entire agenda for your film festival well we do have a lot of great submissions and to be honest we uh, you know i wasn't looking as much as i was as i have been now so you know to see how much it's ramped up i i think i think there is a bit of a trend towards people trying to make a difference through film so i think there are, there is uh, probably more more films coming through but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the, sh- the short answer. I think, I think, you know, because the barrier to entry now for making a film with uh, how cheap and accessible technology is and the capabilities of just your iPhone, um, mm-hmm. you know, the barrier to entry to make a film that is watchable where, you know, bad lighting or bad sound doesn't interfere with the, you know, content getting through, it, it's, it's lower now. So I think people have a voice now more than they ever did before. 
And I think you see a lot of YouTube stars are just out there to entertain and, you know, try to promote themselves. But I think on the flip side, you also see people that are, you know, be able to have a voice and feel like they can start to, you know, make a difference. So I, I think that it's a good thing. Okay. It's lower barrier to entry. Uh, you know, I, I did an episode to well, air for my podcast later on about doomsday scenarios in the environment. And one of the things I try to come up with at the end of each one of my episodes is what is it that you can do to help facilitate a change? And a lot of times I don't have an answer. And that's where I feel like a lot of these socially conscious short films that they, you know, I can be shown Syrian refugees in Greece. I can be shown the black rhino going extinct in Africa. But I really don't know how I can even begin to make a dent to make that change. Are you finding, I mean, what, what, what's your response to that? Because it is, I mean, there's a lot of great things that we can start making a change for. We can start turning the faucet off when we brush our teeth. But do I know if I'm really making that much of a change when I do that? Are you finding that some of these people who create these short films are just showing us this is a problem, but they don't necessarily know a solution yet? Mm. Yes. I, I think that, you know, it's not, the burden is not on the filmmaker to show us a solution. I think that when you look at what storytelling can do is the storyteller can, in the best way, manipulate our emotions, give us a visceral feeling in our gut, and that can be a gateway into the mind to change you know, old patterns of thinking and to make us start questioning the behaviors that we've engaged in thus far. From there, our goal is to take this audience that's all riled up from these great films that we show and have the heads of nonprofit organizations at our venue or where you can connect you know, uh, to them through the app that we're designing or through our social media pages. Um, so it really is a community effort and we want to you know, bring um, heads of nonprofit difference makers to the venue so that people feel like they can make a difference so that they don't just go away feeling, you know, all these different things, but with no clear course of action to follow through on. Right. And that's what we're really trying to, to focus on in our discussion section is posing the questions, what can we do about it? Because, you know, obviously films, our films are often short films and they pose the question but don't necessarily have the answer. But that's where we want our community the audience members, the difference makers, the heads of nonprofits that are coming along, celebrity activists. Celebrity activists. <laughs> we want we want them to put in their two cents and then to be a real town hall feel. So we have got roving mics in the audience and can be an open discussion where we can try and figure out some steps that people can do once they walk outside the doors that they can start putting into action to create a better place. That's a great idea. I mean, that's that's an awesome philosophy. It, it makes me think about my own activism like okay I live in California we're a pretty democratic state but except for the middle parts Republican but the urban areas are all democratic so we run the show so whenever I get these emails saying oh you know you should sign up or call your senator I'm like well my senator already is siding with me on this issue so I do nothing but you don't necessarily always know that the people you think are doing the right thing are doing the right thing and so by getting these groups of people together to say well we all know we care enough so we'll start doing the right thing and hope that everybody else gets on board. Yeah, you know, a, a list of phone calls that gets put in front of a senator, you know, or a congressman is one thing. But if we get, if we're successful in getting, you know, the kind of media coverage that we want for what we do and we can create tangible benefits and show upticks in participation and in donation dollars raised for nonprofits or elevate filmmakers that, you know, um, maybe never had a platform before, if, if we could find a way to quantify that and show that, you know, then we start to show the policymakers that, you know, the real power lies within, you know, the people at the grassroots level. And frankly, 
if you look at our foundation of democracy, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I don't think that we are taking enough individual responsibility this day and age to act on that. Like I said, we're complaining on social media. Uh We're allowing the news to upset us. And we're not really taking that next step of action, you know. And I don't want to, I don't mean to wag my finger at people. But, you know, I think that the more that we can get involved and look at how we can make a difference at the community level, that's a great start. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting you bring that up. Recently, NPR ran this story about the Confederation protests and whatnot. And a woman was interviewed, and she said no politician has ever come out and said anything that's caused great change. It was all the constituents who are actually the ones who made it. And she made a great point. I mean, we might still have slavery. We might still have women who can't vote. We might still have gays who can't get married. It was the populace that was the one who finally screamed loud enough that the politicians. I mean, even Obama and Hillary Clinton weren't for gay marriage until so many people screamed, and they were like, Okay, okay. And they may have really been for gay marriage in their bedrooms, or, you know, at home talking to their husbands and wives in private. But on public, where we needed them yelling, they didn't. So when we yelled, they had no choice but to finally say, okay, okay, now I can finally say what the public wants me to say. Uh, what is it – which one of these social issues – I'm sure we've – I mean, I've got 50 I care about. But what is one, James, that you really feel passionate about that keeps you up at night or that keeps you waking up every morning with a fire inside your belly? I'll give you two because they're just very, very different. One, one is climate change, and I, I worry greatly about it because we only do have one planet, and I don't want to live on Mars or in a spaceship. So, <laughs> you know, I care very much about it, and I see a lot of waste on a daily basis. And, you know, the technology's there. We've had technology for solar and wind power for hundreds of years, for like 100 years. But what we haven't had is enough support to, you know, start reallocating our resources towards putting money into it. And so the fact that the ability to do this amazing thing exists and we haven't done it upsets me. John F. I love John F. Kennedy. He gets there and says, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That's insane. We've never successfully launched a rocket into space, let alone put a person on the moon. Yeah. We did that in less than 10 years, and that was, you know, that was eight technological, 15 technological generations ago, you know? And um, when you look at that, you look at the ability of people to come together to do amazing things. And the fact that the technology already exists is the biggest hurdle. So why haven't we collectively said this is important enough for us to... So that, that's a big one for me. Um, secondly is uh, one, one of my biggest pet peeves in, in an interpersonal relationship, whether it's friends, family, romantic, uh, anytime someone has a sense of entitlement, like, like they deserve something, mm-hmm. that really bothers me. And so when I look at that from a social change uh, standpoint, I look at people that feel like they deserve something because of socioeconomic status or, you know... Um, uh, sexual orientation or race or whatever it, it, it might be, uh, that really bothers me. A- any kind of entitlement because that, you know, breeds inequality. So inequality uh, in terms of the way that we look at ourselves compared to others and the way that we treat one another, and even if it's on an implicit level, I think a, a bright light needs to be uh, shined on that so that, you know, we look at our attitudes towards one another. And I think that when we really start to you know, value one another at a basic human level and see that our similarities are, you know, what unite us and that our differences are what make us interesting rather than are what make us somebody we can't get along with. We can really start making positive change together on global issues 
like climate change. You asked, what do you do about a genocide of the third world country half the world away? Right. Well, when people start to value one another, you know, at, at a basic human level, you know, that I think becomes sort of a global movement. And because we're so connected now through social media and technology, the more content that we create that does that, and, and the more that we spread that message, the greater likelihood we have of changing minds regardless of what sort of governmental ideologies exist in these different countries. We start to all relate to one another as human beings. So that's my pie-in-the-sky hope for humanity <laughs> and, and my idea, and that's all pretty lofty stuff, but I think it starts with content, spreading that content, valuing and respecting one another, and recognizing that we already have the assets and have already done this before. So, you know, if we can recognize that it's not so far away, if we all come together to do something about it, we can start. Awesome. Andrew, you're the original dream maker for this entire mm -hmm. festival and in this whole movement. What are some of those issues that keep you up at night and fire you up every morning when you wake up? Yeah, well, the first one started before I actually came up with the, with the idea. Obviously, that's kind of part of the reason why I decided to, to put it together. But um, it was getting off the plane and just, you know, here I am trying to going to, you know, pursue my dreams. And then I just saw so many homeless people and, you know, their dream was to get a pillow to sleep on or some food or, and, you know, I'm walking along and I've this complete dichotomy of, of these people who have nothing and then I have, you know, I'm, I've come from a, I'm a blessed, a blessed person. And, uh, yeah, it's just there's, what, what can we do about it? There, you know, there's, there's homeless shelters, they're, they're doing food drives. There's so many, so much wasted food from different, you know, um, you know, big, big chains that obviously expire. The food expires. So, one of the things I've been trying to do is is corral people that have access to these large quantities of food that just goes, it gets expired, and I want to distribute that to to the homeless people that that are out there. Obviously, there's a there's a range of different reasons why somebody might be homeless, and it kind of touches on what James was saying is that we don't know what their story is. Like, you know, you see somebody on the, on the street and you go, okay, they're X, Y, and Z, you're making these prejudgments mm -hmm. on what you think they, they must have gone through. But you don't know if someone's just had a really rough run. You don't know if they've got mental illness. You don't know if they have addiction, which is also a mental illness. There's not that understanding. There's just a, it's an immediate, oh, that's, that's bad. I don't, don't want to associate with that. You don't engage with them like that. So walking down the street, I don't look away from homeless people. I don't necessarily engage with them, but I'm happy to talk to them, happy to treat them as a person, give them something if I have it. Uh, it's it's just opening up your, your mind to somebody else is coming from a different place and often someone to listen to them is probably the best thing that they can have right. possible. Yeah. So it's ch changing our ways of how we look at each other, whether you are homeless or whether you're you know, black, white, whatever. Um, that that's something I, I just want people to be to see people for who they are and give them an opportunity without the the prejudice or the 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 original um, conception of who you think somebody is. Piggybacking off that, that's one of the that's one of my social ideas I have is how do we be how do we grow a more empathetic society? Not just United States, but worldwide. You know, you see Syrians, you know, half a world away. I see homeless people. It's like how do you just start to see them as equal humans to you? Oh, I have zero idea on how I'm actually going to solve this, but I definitely think people need to be more empathetic because 
I too have felt that way about homeless people. And I actually have a rule with myself that if they look at me, I will lock eyes with them and say hello. I stop being afraid of if they ask me for a dollar because it's my it's my choice to say, here you go, or no, sorry, you're not today, brother. It's that easy. You just keep walking. It's not like they're going to chase you down the street for a dollar. Yeah. But I, I read somewhere a long time ago that you know one of the things that these people miss the most is just normal human interaction. Yeah. And if you just, whenever they say, hey, you got a dollar, or they look at you in the eyes, don't immediately look away. You've just made it worse. Just say hello. I and mean, sometimes, yeah, they obviously want a dollar, but they also want to be just hello. Yeah. <laughs> I read a, an amazing article in the Rolling Stone right after the 2009 stock market crash that people who were plumbers, people who were dental hygienists, normal people were sleeping in their cars because they lost everything. Yeah. They were stupid. They didn't sign this mortgage for this house out of stupidity. They knew that they, what they were doing, but they were told by the banks that this house was going to be worth twice as much you know, 10 years from now that it is now, they were duped. And so these people put, you know, whatever ended up happening, they got in that situation and now they're living in their car. And it wasn't because they were greedy or ignorant. They just were tricked. And so it's like have compassion because you don't know their stories. The Vietnam vet on the street or even now more and more military people on the street, you just don't know their story. And you're not going to stop and find out all of them, but you can at least look them in the eye when you pass them by. Mm. Yeah. yeah, your question was on uh, how do we increase uh, empathy? Yeah. Um, I mean, I might like to offer that, I think, curiosity about people that are different from you and, you know, really trying to put yourself in their shoes. A- Andrew and I come from an acting background. We're actors first. And whenever you play a character or when, whenever you play somebody who seems like you but is maybe involved in a circumstance that you've never been in or couldn't see yourself in, you have to take a minute to really try to understand, well, what would make me act this way? What would make me, you know, feel this way about someone I'm supposed to love or love someone I'm supposed to hate? So I think if, if you look at actors as actual truth tellers, because they have to believe it for the audience to believe it. When you look at people who aren't acting and telling a story and just living their lives, curiosity. Be curious about people who are different from you and try to figure out what makes them tick and ask them. Then have the courage to engage in discussion. So I would say it goes curiosity, courage, discussion. Be curious about people that are, that are different. Have the courage to engage and have a discussion with them. I think that when you look at social media, you know, we it, it's a great connector, but it's also a makes it very easy to self-segregate. You know, someone says stuff on your your news feed you don't like, you stop following them. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. we have great connection with people that think and believe the same stuff we do. And people were shocked at the outcome of the last election. A lot of people were. And I thought, I mean, I was, but I, I asked myself, why am I shocked? Like, what did I miss? How did so many of us miss it? And I think it's because we're not talking with people that we don't agree with, whether that is from a political ideology or anything else. It's so easy to ignore all the people you don't want to talk to because it's so easy to connect with all the people that you're just like. Right. So if we're going to make any real change or come together, I think we have to have people of differing viewpoints coming together to talk about things that we all agree are a problem. Like we have a social responsibility to try to end homelessness, especially youth homelessness, for example. I think we can all agree that a kid on the street, there's something wrong with that and we need to do better in society to fix that. Um, You talk about 9-11 actually at the top of the podcast right now. You know, I was in high school then. And I've never seen America so united. Right. So it took a tragedy to bring us all together and to start to, except for, you know, anti-Muslim sentiment among some people, which was horrible. But aside from that, people were just friendly to one another. They were friendlier to one another. People said hello more. 
they were more respectful of you know each other in traffic and I, that's what I noticed I lived in the Washington DC area at the time and I noticed that and it lasted for you know six months right maybe yeah. a year yeah it was really nice yeah. So, so that one year anniversary when everyone was like, oh, we haven't been attacked in a while. F you, buddy, for cutting me off. <laughs> F you, my friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, We're still it, Americans, but F you anyway. You know, I, I look at that. And like I said, when I, when I say that we've already done these things that, that you know, can, can make us great again and solve a lot of these problems and, and issues, we've already shown this capacity as human beings to do it. But we just need to, you know, open up that dialogue again with people that we don't necessarily agree with at the outset and find the common ground and the respect for one another. That is one of the problems that social media has brought about, and I'm sure my listeners as well as us, we've read enough about it to know that social media allows you to surround yourself in a bubble. Right. You know, I mean, on Facebook, you know, the moment some of my Republican friends start to post too much stuff, unfollow. Oh, I do it to the same thing to the Democratic people. I don't want my whole news feed to be nothing but good or bad. Yeah. Bashing. And so to get everyone to combine it is about the Doomsday podcast I shot today. It's like, why does it always have to be a horrible situation that brings us together? Right. You know, oh, aliens are attacking. Everybody's finally buddies via Independence Day. Or <laughs> weird dinosaurs are coming out of the water. Movie Pacific Rim. Everyone finally unites. Like, why does it have to be a horrible catastrophe? Why can't we all just walk out of our houses every day and just wave? I don't, I'm from a small town. I grew up on a family farm. Like, we wave to our neighbors there. You know, now you, people, you lock eyes in a car driving by. They just did something they weren't supposed to do. And you're okay with it. But they don't even wave. Like, hey, just acknowledging your existence. They just keep going. And, like, where's that social common courtesy that people just don't seem to have anymore it's true that's a good question i i i wonder how we lost it all it's really i mean you know i don't know i i think that there's such a focus on like the the individual in our society these days especially you know in the western world right and there's collectivist cultures and individual cultures and um i don't know i i blame sort of the self-help culture of the of the 90s you know, in, in early 2000s, everybody was so big on self-improvement and focusing on their own mental and emotional. But I think that our greatest strengths come, you know, when they're bounced off of or interplayed right. with our fellow man. Like, I think if we look at how we relate to one another, that's our best opportunity to nurture, you know, who we are at the most meaningful level. Without healthy human connection, we're nothing. No matter how, you know, we've reduced our work week to four hours, no matter what, yeah. you know, habits we've put into no our own life to be more effective. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. I just, I don't think the answer is self-help. I think, you know, the answer community is help. community help. help. Exactly. Andrew, how much different is Australian culture than United States culture in these regards? Uh, yeah, I think probably Australia would more likely to say hello on the street. Um, the biggest, the city you get, the more people will focus on what they've got to do. Um, it's the same thing like you were saying in a country town everyone knows each other they know each other's business it's all one big kind of family um, but you know in, in, in a whole I, I think you know LA and Sydney are pretty pretty similar in that kind of the it's like a laid back well, it, the closer you get to the city the more you know the agents the you know yeah. that's more business that's a bit more cutthroat but if you're out of the beach in Venice say it's going to be a pretty chill hey man what's up you know like <laughs> So there's there's definitely elements of both of those in in, in the cities, but yeah, I, I think probably Australia is a little bit more friendly on the whole. But I mean, if you're an Australian in LA, everyone's pretty friendly to you anyway. So right, you guys, it's your yeah. accent, and and it, and it makes a difference how you are. I'm a friendly guy, so people right. are friendly back to me. Like you know, talking about like not saying hello to people on the street, it's like 
you know, there is that idea that the person on the street is going to ask you for a dollar or the person on the street is going to ask for something that puts you out and takes you off your timeline for your day. But, you know, I, I look at it like that person on the street might be your new best friend or it could be, you know, some new neighbor in a neighborhood. I always say hello to everybody. And, and it's, it's that, it's incredible to see people being surprised by somebody saying hello, like, or engaging them or something or, you know, I'm often just have a, a random quirky joke to somebody that I've never met and they're kind of figuring out what I want from them, why I'm saying these things. And then they kind of realize, Hey, that was a funny joke. Uh, I'll have a laugh. And, and he wanted and nothing. He just wanted to make me laugh. And yeah. look, and that was a good interaction. It yeah. went cool. People have such uh, crazy like barriers for, for connection and defense mechanisms up these days. Just what you're saying about like, why is he talking to me? What does he want from me? And why did he make a joke? Instead of just taking an authentic moment to laugh and, and say, what the F are you talking about? Yeah. Man? Like, like yeah. That would be a, a, a real connection. But... I, I wonder why that is. I, I mean, maybe it's because everybody's nerves are so frayed because of how fast everything moves or because of just all the inundation we're getting from yeah. advertisements through our social media. Through, we're, we're so engaged with, you know, everybody else's lives and the news and things, or not the news, but social media, that I think that we're not taking enough time just to, like, be checking with ourselves. Like, when life was simpler, we, before cell phones, before social media it there was less things to get distracted by right so we had more time to kind of check in and really be in touch with how we're really feeling but with so much stimulus coming in i think it can be overwhelming and so i think Mm -hmm. we just put up this wall just to try to get through the day i wonder how many people like i know in my personal experiences there's a time where i'm like you know if i make a funny joke or a funny comment what's this how's this person going to judge me does my hair look good today am i do my shoes match my belt i mean it's stupid little stuff and then it goes even bigger like what if they don't laugh is this going to hurt my feelings is this is this going to make me want to tell another joke did i just get rejected by a stranger when i was just trying to have an interaction a million things play in your head those are just five i could come up with in this quick moment and you think of all those and it just stops you from doing anything you're like or i could just not say anything to this person and I'll continue down the stream like I always was and Mm -hmm. uh, you're right I I think if people just stopped and just stop caring just make a joke be polite to the person at the grocery store no please you go ahead or see something funny on a magazine at the checkout just make a joke about it other people can laugh too and that's it we will walk away and no one will ask anyone for anything Uh, do people in Australia have the same kind of socially conscious mentality of as Americans, I mean, maybe not even saying what is Australia's socially conscious. I mean, do people think about this kind of stuff down there too? Is does Facebook taking over society in Australia? I mean, where are you guys at in comparison to the United States? Well, I think uh, definitely uh, climate climate change and you know global global issues. You know, we we have a massive hole in our ozone layer right above Australia, which is why the sun will burn you to a crisp. You have a couple of hours out in the Australian sun, you'll be peeling your skin off before you get off the beach kind of thing. Wow. And um, you come out over here and it's, you know, I might put sunscreen on out when I'm out there. You generally do. But, you know, that's one thing. So definitely skin cancer rates in Australia are really high. So everyone's kind of focused on, you know, the, the carbon emissions and, and that kind of stuff. Also, our Great Barrier Reef is officially dead. So, you know, maybe it was because we let the French uh, test nuclear warheads in our water 
like which is maybe just saying, I mean, like the, the greatest maybe, idea maybe it's like how can, how can somebody go yeah what's the price on the on the barrier reef yeah test your nukes over our way like so so crazy uh-huh. but uh that's what they did and now all of the coral is white as opposed to the beautiful colors a lot of the fish have died so it's still there but it's all white so officially because it was the the largest living organism mm-hmm. in the world now it's officially dead so you know, they're, they're two things that, you know, climate is really a, a big well, isn't thing. Isn't 80% of your continent already uninhabitable? Just the inner Partians? Aren't they all just barren deserts where the Aborigines used to live? Well, only as uninhabitable as your center of your country. Uh, it's, it's a similar kind of thing, but it's, it's not uninhabitable. It's just 85% of the population choose to live by the beach. And why, why wouldn't you? I mean, beach, beach is great. It's, so it's not uninhabitable, but it's just, it's just not inhabited. Okay. Generally, because you know our population's, I think it's about thirty million, um, which is you know a fraction on what what you guys have over here. It's about the same landmass, <coughs> but we are an island, so everywhere is has got a beach on on the coast, obviously. Um, so yeah, so 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 sea level rise is obviously a big issue in Australia as well. Let's move back, move your tail back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slash house slash yeah. So that so that's there are a lot of. Um, a lot of places that are right on the uh, right on the level of the, of the sea. So yeah, that that'll that'll be an issue. Um, but we'll get to that. Let me ask you about some of these short films that you guys have brought into your thing. Do you notice certain regions of the planet more focused on certain aspects? I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but maybe the listeners don't. You know, people in the Middle East more worried about you know way oil production treats them or all of the terrorism that goes on. I mean, Syrian refugees are clearly going to have. A, completely different set of worries on a day-to-day basis than us but how do you see the planet breaking down based on what kind of social issue uh, films are coming out of those regions one of the films that won last year was a film called Aban Korshid which is set in Iran and one more time for the listeners I didn't hear that either Aban and Korshid okay so two two names of, of males in uh, in Iran and this is the, based on a true story it's a love story between two men and in Iran, um, homosexuality is still punishable by death. Mm-hmm. And so this is the story of, of their love and their ultimate demise. So uh, obviously in, in places such as that, uh, that that's, that's a big concern. So that's the kind of work. But that's the other thing. It's like even making that film is punishable by death. So, you know, having the, having the actors, having the producers, that's a really big thing. The, the, the actors weren't... Uh, from or actually, um, um, Mojan, uh, he's he's an Australian, but half Australian, half Iranian. So that was a really that was a really big decision for him to make that because it's his likeness out there, it's his face. He's right. you know uh, he's a straight guy himself, but obviously, but he has you know he believes that's a really important film, and and it really was, and that's why it, you know it was one of the winners of our festival. It's incredibly impactful. We also have um, an asylum seeker who, you know, has he started making films on his iPhone just to document what life was like, you know, as someone that didn't have a country. Kadim Dai is his name. He's a credible guy. Yep. And his family is dispersed across the Middle East, the Philippines, Australia, and now him in the U.S. And um, he's continuing to make films of, you know, greater and greater quality and, and complexity. And, um, you know, we're excited to be able to show people what that you know, life is like, especially, you know, in, um, against the backdrop of, you know, all the discussion there's been on, you know, immigration policy and, uh, you know, in our country here. Um, it's just, it, it brings in a whole new perspective. It just helps 
educate an audience on something that they might have no idea about. And to have the person who's lived that life there at the festival, that, that's our goal for making an impact. You know, it, it's, it's not just about being passively entertained or, or watching a documentary for educational purposes. It's meeting and talking with the people behind it and the people that are actually tackling those social issues and putting money, resources, manpower in their lives right. behind trying to make that change. And our, our goal, one of my greatest goals is, you know, in discussing, I, I run uh, partnerships and sponsorships for us. And um, we have some, you know, partners and sponsors that are very reluctant to work with us because the first thing they think of when they hear uh, socially conscious film festivals, tree, tree hugging liberal. Of course. And, hippie, hippie, hippie. Yeah, I mean, right, right. <laughs> and, 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 and I say, you know, look, that's not the point. I mean, if we don't get people from different political viewpoints, on that stage with us to talk about these issues that are really our responsibility at the individual level to do something about, why should anyone care? It's just another example of self-segregation and being around people who already agree with you. That's easy. But bringing people together that disagree and finding the common ground about how we can be better Americans by treating one another better and being better world citizens, that transcends any political ideology. And when you look at the fact that there's race riots happening in our country right now. I mean, that hasn't been a thing, really, since, you know, we had Rodney King issue, but, you know, since like the 60s. Yeah, 64. I, I mean, are we going backwards here? Right. So I don't think there's ever been a more important time for people that don't agree politically to get in the same space to celebrate something that is inherently human storytelling, great storytelling. You know, and, and, and have your hearts inspired and sit down next to someone who doesn't agree with you and say, were you moved by that film? Yeah, were you? I was. I would agree with it, but I was moved by it. Oh, I totally agree that I was moved by it. Now we, now we can start. Right. Then we can truly start trying to make a change. I, I love the philosophy because it, it makes me think. Like, I believe, you know, they talk about flyover states, and I, and so I'm like, because I don't believe all the coasts are as liberal as people make them out to be. I mean, let's face it, North Carolina and Florida, they're, they're on the ocean, and they're not always so open-minded. But I call it destination places versus flyover. And I almost feel insulted for the flyover areas because I've lived in a lot of those places, and they're not all closed-minded, but they have their own lives going on. You know, it's like, how am I supposed to, you know, let's say you live in Omaha. It's just my, it's just my generic city I always name when I'm like, move back to Omaha. It's just a generic place I say. Um, you know, those people in Omaha, they have to wake up. They have to get their kids to school. They have to get, they have to, get to work on time. And they have to worry about what they're going to eat. And then are they going to work out? I mean, they've got a million things to worry about. And then to try to throw some socially conscious thing on top of that. So why do people have this weird idea that the coasts are somehow more liberal and open-minded than the flyover places. I just want to hear your opinions on this because I think it's a little off. I just think that we've just unfollowed all those people from the flyover places and we never actually get to hear what their actual, their real opinions are. You know, that's a good question. I, I haven't spent, I mean, I, I grew up in the Washington DC area. You know, I moved to Denver, Colorado, which uh, is a destination place in and of itself and very young, um, you know, population that is full of wanting to do things, you know, in the world. And I haven't spent enough time there to, you know, give you a good educated answer on that. But I will say that I've met, you know, all kinds of people that don't want to change the world. They want to be a loving husband, wife, you know, mother, father. They want to be a good citizen in their community and they just want to be left alone. And you know what? That's okay. That's fine. But, um, 
you know, I I don't think that they don't care about, you know, these issues necessarily. I just think that maybe, you know, their focus with what they're trying to do with their life is, is right. different. But we're all citizens and just like they're trying to get their kids to school on time and they're, you know, trying to pay the bills. That's a that's the human experience no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is commonality there and to simply choose not to talk to that individual because maybe their political ideology is different is akin to throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. It's another human being. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, I look at it like an inverse pyramid. So yourself is at the bottom, then the village is right above it, and then the world. And I try to convince some of my friends who think, you know, screw the flyover states, let's just focus what we're doing on the coast. And I'm like... You just get somebody out there, and we, they joke, and we joke. I still it's about everybody, you know, people being plugged into the matrix. And it's okay if your only goal every single day is just get your kids fed, get them a good education, go to work, pay your bills, and be part of the cog of the machine. Because if you raise good kids, if you go out there and you're polite to the random person yeah. that you see, you're being good to your village. And the more people that are good in your village, the better the world ends up being. Completely. And so I, I get mad at some of them for the narrow viewpoint that they have. They're like, oh, if you don't start up a foundation or if you don't do this, then you're not trying to change the world. I'm like, raising a respectful human being who goes on to raise other respectful human beings and helps his other friends become respectful human beings. It's I call it, it's like, I watch a lot of American football, and so like people who know who Bill Walsh is, he's a coaching guy, and his his tree now goes throughout the entire NFL. So take your own life. I, you go out and I'm nice to you. Then you're nice to him. He's nice to someone else. You don't see that tree because it's not on television. But you don't know that if be, by being nice to you that down the line somebody in Zimbabwe is nice to somebody else who doesn't kill themselves that day or doesn't do something crazy. Like You don't see it. But there you really is a butterfly effect. There, there is a butterfly effect. So you should just assume it's occurring and stop being rude. All right. I'm, I'm going I'm to challenge your listeners and I'm going to challenge them with a true story. Uh, a few years ago when I was making Leap, um, I was having a rough day, man. Nothing was going well. I didn't think the damn film was going to get made, and I just was just not in a good place. And I had to go train my clients the job that actually, you know, pays me something. And I was just not wanting to do anything. I was wanting to crawl under my covers and not even go out. So I figured the next best thing is to at least get a cup of coffee on my way down to work and try to pep up a bit. So I said, F it. I, I went to the Starbucks drive through and I said, you know what? Go ahead and, and just pay for the car behind me and um, do me a favor. Would you mind asking them, inviting them to, you know, see if they would like to pay for the car behind them? Here's my card. I'm really curious if anybody does this and if they do. Just give me a call or shoot me a text. Let me know how many people actually do it. Well, I'm at the gym. You know, I'm training one of my clients. This is like two hours later. And I get a call from someone saying, Hi, this is Rachel from uh, Channel 9 Local News. Are you the one who started Pay It Forward? And I'm like, oh, what? what? I'm like, pay, pay it forward's a movie with like Kevin Spacey and Helen Hunt. And it was a good movie. And she's like, no, 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 the, the, the Starbucks thing. And I'm like, um, I guess. And she's like, well, what, where, what was your idea from this? And I'm like, well, well hold, hold on a minute. Like, what? What? What, what? is going on, right? <laughs> and so she says, yeah, a whole bunch of people were, you know, and I, I had to find out, are you the guy, what, why did you want to do this? She was asking me like I was a crazy person. Why did you want to do this? As if it was, as if I had some kind of conspiracy or some sort of initiative. What are you trying to promote? Get everybody addicted to caffeine, I said. I, yeah. <laughs> I said nothing. I was just trying to feel better about myself, about my day. And I figured I'll do something and see what happens. So anyway, she got off the phone. I guess she wasn't looking for the story that she wanted. You so did not provide the soundbite, huh? I guess not. <laughs> she, she did air a little thing about it, like a little blip apparently that someone else saw. I never saw it. Well, 20 minutes later, I get a call from Jesus. 
Yes, Jesus. He didn't go by Jesus. He actually said his name is Jesus, which is just ironic. So I said, well, Jesus, how do we do? <laughs> he said, we had 42 people in a row pay it forward, buy for the car behind them. I was shocked. My mind was like, I was, my mind was blown. So eventually it, it begged the question. I said, well, who, who was the last one? How, how, how did it stop? And he's like, I don't know, some, some news reporters kept asking me all these questions. So the damn news reporter is the one who didn't pay for it. She got so caught up in this story, or maybe assuming I had some ulterior motive, she forgot to pay for it. Anyway, <laughs> next time you think that some small, stupid little thing you do doesn't matter, I think about those 42 people that went on through their day being grateful that someone was looking out for them, and I wonder what they did to pay it forward beyond just buying it for the person behind right. them. What else they did in their life? Because maybe they felt a little better about humanity. So my challenge is next time you're at a drive-thru, next time you're at a drive-thru, pay for the car behind you just once and invite invite the employee. See if you can get them excited enough to, to ask them to invite the next car to pay for the person behind them. Who knows what you could start. I love so that idea. I'm going I'm to throw that challenge out to everybody listening. I love that challenge. Guys, you better do it. Now you make me want to go to Starbucks. I don't even go to Starbucks and just pay, buy somebody's coffee. What do you just give them your credit card and then the next person they just swipe? That's how it worked? Well, because when you go through the drive-thru, they already know how much the next person's order is. Uh, I you know, because like, there's okay, usually yeah, like yeah, three yeah, or four yeah. people oh, between yeah. the ordering station and the paying station. Oh, yeah, so they always okay. have the next person's bill up, you know. All right, we're running out of time, so I'm going to get you guys out of here on this. If you had one thing that you wanted people to take, a positive message you could give to the whole world out there, all simultaneously can just stop and hear what you want to have to say. Andrew, I'm going to start with you. What is one message that you would like the whole world to hear from you? Um, I would say just um, enjoy every minute. Enjoy every day, every interaction you have. Think of write your own goals Figure out where you want to be, what you want to do with your day, with your week, with your month, and figure out what are the things that are stopping you from getting those things. What's the one thing that you continually do that's comfortable for you, that you keep doing that just stops you from progressing? Get, get out of that comfort zone, challenge yourself, take risks, put yourself in a place where you're just where you wouldn't normally be, but know where you're going and why you're putting yourself in that uncomfortable position and then just see what that growth feels like and uh, challenge yourself you know I, I wouldn't I couldn't imagine that where where we are with flicks for change from just having an idea last July so in July I had the idea gave myself the deadline by the end of the year we're going to put on a festival we had 30 films over three days this year we're going to get in bigger we're going different cities so it's just have that belief in yourself dare to dream give yourself a crazy deadline and uh, just start doing it and bring on people that you want to work with bring, bring on people to help you with that vision um, inspire them and they'll inspire you and then you can keep kind of moving forward and uh, yeah look for greatness awesome awesome yeah. alright James you're up uh, love one another uh, start by listening to one another and um, I think when you seek first to understand before being understood your natural human qualities of empathy will come through. And when you realize that no matter how different someone seems from you at the surface, you're still human beings made up of the same stuff that you still get, you know, you still have sad days and happy days and you have all the same emotions. And, you know, when you start to see that, 
I think that that's the beginning of coming together as a community. Um, shameless plug time. If, if you guys want to come to the festival, you're in the LA area, you want to go to Flix, F-L-I-C-K-S, the number four change.org. We are a community and we want you guys to be part of it. In a few days, we're actually going to release uh, our first round of ticket sales. And anybody that goes to flixforchange.org and clicks on, I want free tickets. Um, you'll get on our email list. We only send email out every couple of weeks. It's kind of like you know what we're doing and what's new in our community. But it gives you first run at buy one, get one tickets. And we're going to release those first. So if you want to come and be part of it, that opportunity is out there for you guys. Awesome. Well, you guys are my kind of people. I knew you would be. You're going to have to come back on the show later on down in the future. We'll talk more about Flicks for Change. Guys, check out my uh, my website, MediaMogul.com. I'm going to write up a whole story about this. You're going to be able to find all their links. You're going to be able to follow everybody on social media from that. You guys are going to have to come back on the show. You are, we love to, man. Thank absolutely you. awesome. I love your energy. Uh, so good luck. And we're going to keep up with this. It's going to be also, great. Also, got a discount code for your viewers. If you yes. write in Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, You'll get buy one get one free tickets just for you guys because we love you so much. Yeah, and I might I might win a prize like I get to actually come for free too or something. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing. So come on, support the show. You guys are exactly my kind of people. Thank you so much for being on. So that's it for this episode. Hope you all have all enjoyed. Flicks for change. They're doing great stuff. Really appreciate Andrew Steele. We had James Hawthorne on the show. As always, everybody check out everything on social media at Jesse Mogul or at Media Mogul. You can find me on, well, you've already found me on iTunes. You can find me everywhere else you need to at MediaMogul.com. Remember, we are curating curiosity through compelling conversation. Be well to one another. And as always, safe journey.